Right, on the podcast this week I have Ali McKinnell of Electricity, um, massive band in the mid-90s with a truly massive song, Morning Afterglow, which is probably up there with the likes of Don't Look Back in Anger is one of the, the, the best songs of the 90s. But we're going to get back to the start firstly, Ali. Um, what was life like for a, a young Ali McKinnell growing up? Where did you grow up? In... Yeah, well, okay. Um, where did I grow up? Still growing up now, I think. But <laughs> but as a, as a young man, um, yeah, we grew up predominantly in the, the southeast of England around sort of Sherbourne um, in Dorset, uh, Yeovil, you know, Somerton, Weymouth. Weymouth was a huge inspiration musically for me. There was loads of good players there. So, yeah, life was pretty idyllic, really, kind of um, late 80s. You know, I was in a band uh, with Steve from Electricity, uh, like a soul fun rock band, and we toured all over the southwest of England. And life was really good. Yeah, I went to college, didn't go there very much because... We were always out gigging and playing and getting up to no good. So yeah, life life was good, really good. What were you doing at college? Oh. Funnily enough, I went down there to study um, like a um, uh, what, what what would it like a civil engineering thing for you know working out bending moment shear force all this nonsense for. Um, uh, to do with construction but yeah like I said rarely ever went I think the people bored me so um I kind of gravitated towards the people that made the music more mm -hmm. so growing up um when did music become a thing and how early did you did you think you'd like to make a living from it well uh, I'd still love to make a living from it but um, <laughs> I think I think music's always been like there in my from as far back as I can remember to pre um memory so you know my mum was pretty adamant that on a Thursday night at 7 30 I would you know crawl in front of the television um albeit probably a black and white one to watch Top of the Pop so I knew even before I could sort of string a sentence together that Thursday night, top of the pops. And yeah, just remember being sort of like totally blown away by sort of early, you know, wings, um, all, all the early sort of or mid, late 70s sort of rock that was on top of the pops at that time, including ABBA and all the rest of the bits and pieces. Can't remember real specifics, but yeah, it's always been a massive thing for me in my life you know the minute I hear it or I'm involved with it um it's sort of affirming it, it makes sense in my life mm -hmm. so, and what were your parents like then were they supportive of you and you you get into the music yeah absolutely I mean my my dad sang in uh sort of like um 60s you know rock and roll bands my grandfather he sang in swing bands back in like the 40s and 50s. Um, 
and then as kid, you know, as kids, as we sort of got into the band, uh, the band that came out of school at that time in in Sherborne. I mean, we were just kids. We were, you know, I was probably fourteen. Steve was fourteen. Mickey Taylor from that pedal show. He was uh, he was about probably a year younger than us. We had uh, a couple of brass players. Um, you know, we were we were youngsters, and and the parents were there behind it all the way so rehearsing in people's living rooms and what have you it was great fun right so at what point then what obviously you've mentioned this first band so what sort of bands was there before electricity was it just this and then kind of evolved didn't it? yeah there was lots lots of things really i mean very early on um would have been kind of the band would have been called above and beyond. So we, we were kids. Um, we were like a seven piece sort of, we, we, we kind of dressed up as the blues brothers and did that whole entire mm-hmm. set. Um, you know, Aretha Franklin, Ray Charles, all the, just the, the songs out of the movie, but dressed as um, the blues brothers. We also did, you know, Hendrix and, the Stones and all sorts of uh, Stevie Rayborn, all those bits and pieces. Um, and then that drifted into then early back, like sort of more four piece kind of alt rock bands, if you know what I mean, kind of mm-hmm. like we're doing melodic stuff, but kind of grungier, um, always kind of Steve and myself always sort of favoured that style of music more. Um, and yeah, and then eventually that kind of mutated into electricity when we kind of met up with with Nigel from from Wales at that time. He come down from London, funny enough, Nigel Nisbet, and yeah, and then we were just it, it it kind of all came to to a head at around that time, probably in about ninety three, ninety four, when it was quite clear that the the essence of all of this was a good song. It didn't matter if you had keyboards in front of it or female singers or male. It was just, it was all about the songwriting, which, you know, it kind of passes people by some people, but we, we knew that that was important. So, and, and so did Nige and we all just sort of triggered each other. And then that was kind of the birth of electricity, I suppose, in late 93, early 94. Right. So, I mean, I can mind seeing you on, um, obviously, I had him in 14, 15, I can mind seeing you on Tea in the Park when it was at, it was in Hamilton, which is like two minutes down the road for me. Um, right. So Tea in the Park, and it was morning afterglow, and it wasn't, it was like the Tea in the Park highlights, but it, it didn't show you live on stage, I'm not sure. It was like a kind of video montage. It looked like somebody was getting married or something. Yeah, that's right. That's what happened. We we never played there because we, I believe we drove from Leeds to Hamilton. Um, Very excited, looking forward to playing. Stayed up all night on the bus like you do, doing what you shouldn't do. Um, Arrived just to find out that the generator that was supplying the power to the PA system in backline on the stage that we were due to take had blown. So they, I think they had to cancel. There was a lot of acts got cancelled and one of them was us. So yeah, we were gutted. We were looking forward to playing. So hence the montage 
in the, the couple that wanted to get married to that song. I never knew that. I just, I obviously, what I watched the highlights back last night. It's on YouTube. Yeah. And the highlights, obviously, are a lot different for when you see festival highlights on the telly now. So I just I assumed that you had played, but they'd just done some wacky, wacky thing. So that, that's news to me that he's never actually played that. No, never, we never made it, but, but we had a good time. Uh, yeah. it, it, it's good that they still put that out there on the show then, eh? That to put your music out there, that was really good because yeah. I mean, that, that's what brought you to my attention was that that song, and it always stuck in my mind. Yeah, it's always something that I, I go back to for, for time to time. Yeah, so, like looking at some of the write ups for you, it said that um, you were one of the hardest working bands going at the time. He's played, I think it was like 150 odd shows in nine months. Yeah, um. So where did that work ethic come from? Is that I think, yeah, I think we were always like driven music. I mean, it has to come from somewhere and you don't you don't achieve anything without obviously putting the, the, the work in place in the first place. But for us it was just once the record was done, that live is ultimately what it is i mean everybody goes and puts a pair of headphones on or not or whatever the however they consume the music these days it's it's more of a digital realm but you know back in those days we were putting vinyl on or cassettes or cds and blasting speakers out listening to it in the in the van and you've got all your favorite music your favorite bands but then ultimately it's because you want to go and stand with several hundred other people or several other thousands of people um probably with a nice buzz and stand there and just be pinned to the back wall with loud raucous rock and roll music really mm. ultimately it's, it's the live experience that whole thing really so so we wanted to go on the road and yeah the the label was supportive and were willing to pay for that and we took it on the road so that was our belief really to be anything genuine you had to you you know you've got to go out and earn your stripes and gig right obviously i've touched on more than afterglow quite a bit and as as i say it's a truly magnificent song um but listening to like the stuff on your other like on like your other back catalogue um mm. more than afterglow is no the the kind of the the true sound the electricity once once you go and listen it is a lot more it's a lot louder it's a lot more wally sound there's so much yeah. kind of different sounds that I, I you, you can hear the hip hop you can hear punk you can hear grunge you can hear yeah folk. so did you ever feel sorry did you ever feel kind of that the song Morning Afterglow was kind of like a put you in a pedestal or it was like something about kind of... Like a misrepresentation. Yeah. Um, yeah, I suppose the thing is, I mean, you know, where what we came from was guitar, melodic, you know, you strip... Because that song was a demo. Um, and... So was Lost in Space. Funnily enough, we they they were demos that we recorded with John Sweet. It uh, 
PJ Harvey's house in Bridport. Um, very early on, we we went into her farmhouse, set up, uh, and recorded predominantly live. Probably I, I don't know twelve, fifteen tracks. Well, those tracks have just been released on um, Bandcamp. Uh, nice. It's calling all the dreamers, and you're here. They, you know, the the bare essence of what we were. But then, obviously, when you get into the studio, then you know. You, there's a certain production value that came in. And I think we were probably like kids in a candy shop and um, the first producer, Robin, that we worked with. I mean, we, we just picked the ball up and ran. So it was an incredibly creative process. What we did, the reason we put those early demos out as well recently, or Pete train under Pete train, who's written the book calling all the dreamers about the band mm-hmm. which we can do in a minute um is just to show you know in essence what the band is but then you know where you can go in a studio with a certain you know mentality and production value but ultimately i think we've probably gone 360 degrees and to be fair uh in here we fall was a transition into wired for dream in the third album where the band's just firing on all four cylinders and then mm-hmm. six cylinders whatever you let's let's go for eight why not um <laughs> and yeah and and then really ultimately now funnily enough we're re-recording some tunes from in here before we're going to put an ep out because we just we've sort of come back to that just flat out indie rock and roll band that we are with just with, which is where morning afterglow came from but then obviously you get the you know the pianos overlaid. You get all the strings, but in essence, uh-huh. you you t- you take the strings out, and that is just a it's, it's a very simple indie song. Well, that's a- I mean, like, looking at the the lyrics, you know, that is it's pretty much it's pretty much the same lyrics throughout the song. It's it as a simple basis, but it's amazing how it's kind of people have took to it so much. It's there's no. Um, I don't know. I mean, predominantly, Nige is he is the songwriter for the band. Um, you know, we've all dabbled, but he's predominantly the main man as far as the songwriting goes. But I'm sure he sat there many a time and played me songs since that, where you think, This is it, this is awesome, this is gonna, you know, Mm -hmm. chuck got so much more to it it's got a better melody you know as there's the 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 lyrics there's a more of a journey with this song than there is with say morning afterglow but for whatever reason you know it was laziness with nigel on that song um when i heard the song first straight away i was like it, it touched a chord in me and it didn't with other members of the band but for me i was like something about that and I think for him, create because it went at the back of a tape and there were three or four other songs that he thought were better at the beginning of the tape. And it was just a chuck away, throw away, that C-sharp minor to B sort of called really the verse and the chorus, and that was it. And I just kept on about it. I was like, that's really good, that's really good. So how he answered that for me was completing the song with repeating the first verse and then singing na 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 in the middle yeah. eight and there it's done you know because probably for him he couldn't see it at the time 
And then suddenly you got a song with the same verse, same chorus repeated, and a load of na na nas in the middle of middle eight, and it's the biggest song that the band's ever done. Yeah. Next passed away. Um. So obviously the first album, beautiful, insane. Um. Going back to listen to it, it's not on Spotify. What's the reason for that? Is that to do with the well? We don't. We've got an avid fan of the band who's who's come into the fold. He's become an electrolyte, and he was a fan much like yourself back in the day when really before we were signed, and we were sort of um, trudging around the southwest of England and then up to London to Camden. Him and his 15 mates from school would, you know, probably have a few beers, smoke a bit of pot, come to the gigs. And he was just a big fan of the band. Well, he's gone on now. He's written a book uh, called Calling All the Dreamers, which is available at Amazon and various outlets, which kind of tracks the history of the band from where we came from, because he's from the same neck of the woods is us he's from Yeovil in Somerset quite a plain town what was it that drove us to do what we did and go on this journey that we did and he's very much the same as an individual so he kind of tracked the history of the band um and it was just fascinating to see you know the timeline of what we were doing at different periods of time through the sort of early mid 90s late 90s and then also what happened to the record industry at the end of uh the 90s beginning of the 2000s with the streaming platforms that came up mm-hmm. i can't remember where i was going with any of this but it's a fa- it is a fascinating book because it does track the trajectory of the band and really what happened to us and what was going on around us at the time in the industry right so obviously after that album, then you... Oh, sorry, beautiful, insane. He, that I could go on, there's so many stories <laughs> about with warehouses in Los Angeles that the record industry kept all the original masters for and it was burnt down in 2000 and something, but this is all... So he he's kind of made it, made it his thing to actually try and find out where and why that this this album's very much and very definitely been kind of white from you know the record company that paid for it at the time uh-huh. you know it's yeah it, it's it's been because it was very it was a contentious record you know we were there was a lot of expectation on us and i guess we made a record that was challenging for the label and yeah it, it's 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 a it's definitely a a bit of a mystery, really. Right. So uh, after that, then obviously dropped with the the record label. Was it MCA? Yeah. The MCA merged with Polydor. Something along right. these lines. Yeah. Um, and the kind of ultimate thing that came out of that was you you signed to Arista, and you brought it this in here before in America. Yeah. Yeah, so what, yeah. What was fans like? Was well, were you big in America? Is that is that the reason for that release? Well, I think the when we were without a deal here in the UK after MCA, we managed to walk away from 
you know, the restrictions that they would like to have placed on us. Um, it, oh, you'll have to excuse We've just got a new puppy and I can hear it. I've been working here in the, in the studio, but um, I can hear him wailing down. I might have to shoot down and just um, pacify him. Um, yeah. Um, yeah. So we basically, there was morning afterglow was being uh, rotated on a um, radio station out of, um, oh, I can't remember, WBRQ, I think it was. Yeah, or number, number one most requested song in, in America yes. in 1999. So we, we knew nothing about this. I mean, we were just here kind of flapping around after the great success of Morning Afterglow, but then ultimately the doom of, of having to leave uh, MCA because they were going through, um, you know, uh, their, their own sort of merger, uh, which we weren't to be a part of, even though we had really good success here. Um, and... Yeah, so and and I think one of I believe one of the 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 guys from Arista Records was driving home and heard it on the radio and thought, "What's this?" Because he knew it was the unsigned hour, um, and he obviously was you know listening to this particular radio station to see what was you know out there, and yeah, and he just that was it. It, it, it sort of it hooked him. And he took it to the label. And then obviously we had the video, which was, you know, pretty awesome as well. Mm -hmm. And that was it. They just, they contacted us and they wanted to move forwards and make a record. And yeah, and that's that's what took us to the States, really. Right. Because obviously it was only, he brought out that album and then no long after that, things kind of took a similar turn. Yeah, yeah. Well, Arista Records, and we thought we were in. You know, you've you've got Clive Davis there, who's kind of, you know, one of the biggest sort of record moguls of the last sort of forty, fifty years. It's huge, and he was Arista Records, and we were just, you know, we felt that we were in good company here, and we were, and we were protected. Um, they believed in the band. We'd made the record; it was good, and then they had their own internal issues and he was, you know, he stepped aside and started J records. Um, whatever those reasons were probably not for me to go into. And then we found ourselves basically with everybody that was involved within here. We four, much the same as beautiful, insane was gone mm -hmm. uh, and a whole new, um, you know, group of individuals that came into Arista and here they are looking at this this band that they've had nothing to do with, they don't know the record, probably just thinking, well, we've got nothing to do with this. So they opted to, let's make another record with them, which we did. Um, and that was kind of it. They were, they at that point were not really looking to promote rock and roll you know they were in a predominantly an r&b record and it was done so we made another record and yeah kind of fizzled out fairly quickly after that and that's is that's the record wire for demon that yes and it, that wasn't released until 2008 no we did that ourselves through uh -huh. uh, hedgehog records down in dorset and again another just a record that we 
were really proud of in the the band sort of on fire we the, the record was made compared to the other records it was made in a fraction of the time um great producer um uh, david bianco sadly no longer with us but just an awesome producer and we just yeah we just had the the right approach to making that album and um yeah but it just wasn't it didn't fit with the label at that time um and the direction that they were going to take so that was that it's, it seems to be such a tale of the, the kind of music business and around about that time obviously I've had um, Mark Morris for the Blue Tones kind of a lot of the same sort of issues with record labels and it's if you're flavour of the month at that time everything's alright but the minute something better comes along they just they want to chuck you to the side yeah, and I think they were in turmoil as well. This is what's come out from Pete Trainer's book. Um, obviously, he's researched, created a timeline around this and looked at the industry and obviously what we were doing. And it's very apparent in the late 90s and early noughties that the, the record companies were in decline massively and the streaming platforms and the whole way that people were consuming music, that is a very crucial period of time mm-hmm. that turned millennia and and we were we were right in the center of that so we were just too early to really you know i remember no what was what was there before um facebook myspace i remember all yeah, that yeah. you know um obviously then there was napster um and then you know the spotify and the itunes so the whole industry was just in turmoil and all these all these you know they were just trying to find themselves really and the old guard were just caught out with you know obviously the the success of the internet and streaming and how people were consuming music was changing and we were just a band trying to break through at that time Mm -hmm. so it was you know we weren't able to carry on under our own steam like we are now because the technology wasn't there and we lived on four different continents so uh the new album to the other side was recorded on four different continents and we've got the technology to do that now and that's that was released last july um and we're you know we we're, we're really happy with that and we are diving into the new one and we are existing as a band through the you know the internet and and file sharing we're able to continue and hopefully build you know that fan base again mm-hmm. as, I mean as you said about the kind of the way the record industry imploded at that time it happened again because if you look at the 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 noughties you had this clutch of guitar bands and everybody seemed to you anybody with a guitar would get a record deal yeah that that, that went on for maybe be 2002, maybe about 2009, 2010, and yeah. then did all these bands again, or dropped in um, they're maybe 10, 15 years um, behind yourselves, but they're, they're kind of facing the same problems now. Yeah, yeah. You're kind of coming out the other end of. Yeah, I mean, again, you know, look, we are we're under no illusion we 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 do it because we love it but mm. we are probably 
a dying breed, you and I and your listeners. And, you know, is it as popular now as it was when we saw Oasis go from, you know, live forever and then explode in Nebworth and, you know, just that awesome, the mid nineties was just unbelievable. And bands were getting signed, like the amount of great bands that were about the Lars and cast, obviously the Lars were earlier, but, you know, just music was just exceptionally good, exceptionally exciting. And yeah, it was, you know, kids were picking up guitars and, rehearsing in their garages and it was potentially a way out wouldn't it yeah it does seem to be that i mean it's we're talking about 20 odd years i listened to i got sent the new cast album yesterday and i listened to it and it's up there with their debut album for me yeah it sounds amazing and you kind of think at points you maybe release these albums and your heart might not be in it or whatever but kind of turning 20 years on, you can see that why people are releasing these these albums now. It's for the love of the music. Yeah, that's all it is. That's, I mean, there's an awful lot of bands out there that are just playing. I mean, Blur have done a new album and mm-hmm. they've graced themselves with, you know, and I've cast, but so many have just gone out and done 25th anniversaries and bands like Embrace have kept going and putting records out and, you know, Noel Gallagher's been there the whole time. Obviously, you know, uh, Supergrass came back. I saw them at Ali Pali. They were amazing. Um, yeah, it's uh, it's just hard to believe that it's 20, 25 years later, even 30 years in some case. And, you know, we're the old guard looking back. But yeah, but that's just because you, you keep the fans. The, the fans are always there. Yeah. And I think I had um, Andy Andy Miller on for Dodgy, and we spoke about it. And it's kind of a lot of the time that, that your fan base grows up, and they have kids and all that, and they maybe need to take 10, 15 years of it. But but coming at the end of that fifteen years, the, the fan base is still there waiting for you to come yeah. back. Yeah. So there is that that journey. Oh, so twenty 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 one, you you brought the album giving it back, and then obviously you've had this one to the other yeah. side, which, yeah. again, as we spoke about, the music sounds just as relevant as it did back then. Yeah. So what's the plans going forward? Is there, is there going to be more? Yeah, yeah. I mean, we, we're currently working on an EP. Um, there's so many reasons why we're doing it, uh, which I probably won't go into now, but there will be probably a five- six track ep coming out um probably only i don't know digitally to begin with um sometime probably spring early summer um there's 18 new contenders for the next album um probably three three of those tracks are already up and running um in a basic form and we're looking to do a small tour in July because you know ultimately we are all living in different parts of the world there's no big cash cow behind us feeding all of this like there was mm-hmm. back in the 90s. we have to fund it we have to take the time out of our lives to do this and 
that's that's what we'll do. So yeah, back sometime in July. Um, no, nothing confirmed yet. Dates are slowly getting booked, predominantly in the south of England, but I think we're venturing up to the Midlands, but nothing up in Scotland at the moment. And yeah, we just keep chiseling away because you do and you love it. And also it's, I think the co certain collaboration of people is, you know, electricity is electricity because of the individuals that are involved. So all the time, all those individuals want to bring something to the mix. I think then electricity will just keep making music and putting it out there and gigging when we can. And, and you can't say any more than that. I mean, that's all we yeah. do it because we love it. And I think if we could, you know, live, if we can, and the trouble is we, we're so limited on sort of time for pre-production for, for gigging. So it is literally, okay, there's the gig book, say it's a Friday night. Well, everyone flies in on a Wednesday. We have two rehearsals, and then we go and do the shows. Right. But it, it's nice. It's good as well. You know, it's like by the seat of the pants, we're all a little bit older, a little bit longer in the tooth. So I know a few of us are on diets trying to, you know, really <laughs> get that sort of youthful energy, me included. But um, yeah, we're just we. I think we just keep plodding away with it. I mean, we love we love we love making the music. You know, Nigel's writing some cracking tunes still. So all the time, everyone's there to do it. We'll do it. I take it um, you're not getting naked like you used to back when you were younger. There was times really. Christ, I think if I got naked now, <laughs> yeah, I'd be arrested, without yeah. a doubt. But um, yeah, you look. You know, look, we were young full of energy um and you know if i could have just a teaspoon of that now that would be great just to get me through most days but no mm. I, you know you you did we 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 dresses we dress up in ladies club we do whatever we could do to grab an audience and i think when you're just from a small sort of suburban town and then you come out playing in the pubs where there's loads of cover bands and then you're just doing all your own music. People are like, Christ, you know, what's this? So you have to have, that's really where you get the, the, the live performance thing comes into its own because it's like, how am I going to get hold of these people? They yeah. don't, they don't any of these songs. We've never recorded them. These are just songs that we put together and bashed out in somebody's garage. <laughs> and here we are playing the town crier on Weymouth Seafront here at 11 o'clock at night to a you know to a hundred people in a club and it's like well, they never heard of any of it so yeah you do tend to experiment on the performance side about how you can grab their attention um hence clothes coming off dressing up as women or just running around like a lunatic <laughs> yeah um obviously like touching on gags have you ever played um shine festival no, no. Just my my mate. He goes to every year, and obviously they have a lot of kind of bands like yourself for for that era, and it probably be ideal for you. So obviously it's in November, which is a bit a bummer. But well, it, it's it's this is the issue. It's like right, what two weeks it can everybody make this year? I think we've pinned it down to basically the month of July, um, and then it's just what can we get to fill the diary for then? But, um, yeah, I mean, we, we'd love to get, it's, it's, it is so difficult, you know, it's, um, 
we haven't got people booking shows for us. It's like you, you're, you're trying to do it all yourself and, you know, um, keep a roof above your head and go to work and keep all those elements in life happy and family and kids and loved ones. And then you're, you know, you, it's surprised how much energy you have to put in like anything to, mm-hmm. you know, get a result, make it sound good. Well, that's that, that's one question I forgot to ask. Obviously, in the the kind of for two thousand to twenty twenty one, basically, what, what was going on then in those kind of intervening years? Um, life, I think, for everyone. Um, yeah, just people trying again. I, you know, the technology wasn't particularly there, um, and oh, I can hear. Milo crying downstairs. Mm. I'm gonna have to go in a minute. Yeah, he's whining. Um, yeah, just you know, um, marriages, divorces, houses, you know, move, moving friends, just just life, really. Um, and now we're in. You know, there's been a steep learning learning curve, I think, for Nige because we went from doing sort of drum machine demos that we could all do to suddenly we're like, well, we want. These are sounding great. We need a live drummer on here, um, and then it's how you how does that happen? And then he's got to get his head round, the, you know, the technicalities of doing that. And make so it's it's been yeah, it's been a steep learning curve for him, and and really for all of us to get our heads around the fact that that entire album was recorded and released without us actually standing in a room together and playing. It was just done mm-hmm. online. Well, I don't want to keep you too long then if the the wee pups downstairs waiting. My, so, yeah. Um obviously heroes ask for heroes, so four heroes to come for dinner. What would you cook for them? And yeah, I and why I, are they your heroes, obviously. I didn't give this a great deal of thought. I mean three that come to mind immediately for me, probably Muhammad Ali for obvious reasons. Um just always been a fan. I'll tell you what, I will I have got another one as well. Um, um John Lennon. Uh-huh. Um probably for me, for somebody that's been in my life since nineteen ninety-one, Eddie Vedder as an artist, I think. Um at all either or Tom York, but I like Eddie Vedder because I just think he's he's such a spiritual person. I think he just, you know, he carries the, the same sort of Bob Marley torch, if you know. I know uh-huh. he's a different type of artist, but they're coming from the same place. It's a good uh, choice as well. It's, he, Eddie Vedder's never been picked, so it's just... Oh, he's, he's, uh, my last couple of guests have all picked different people that just, just inspire. I've seen him live enough, and um, yeah, I just he's he's inspiring. Um, and then for me, again, you know, the most important thing I think with all of this is a good sense of humour. Billy Connolly, brilliant, who, who I absolutely love, and I got that from my dad. But from a very young age, there are certain people that stick with you, and you know, Muhammad Ali and Billy Connolly. I mean, I didn't understand beyond what they did as individuals. Because um, as a kid, you're just ego, aren't you? You know, it's just, well, you everything's face value. But as you get older, you realise all of those people are just so much more than 
what their outlet was, whether it was boxing, comedy, music, you know, there was something just universal. They're all coming from uh, the same place. Yeah, and that that's why the that's why the they're your heroes and they're, they're heroes to lots of other people because of that connection that they, they... totally. I mean, totally. I could sit, I could, I could come off this podcast and just, I could watch Billy Connolly for twenty four hours. Yeah, yeah. And it's, yeah. it's not even just the jokes. It's for me, it's like the the craft. It's like seeing how much effort is put into the joke and. Yeah, and he's he's he questioned. I, I think with all of those people as well, one thing that they do is they they always question the establishment and. They're not lemons, so they are. They're not purposefully looking to cause trouble. None of them did, but I think when they clashed, they clashed. But they they would stand by their guns and what they believe in. And I think, yeah, for me, they are. You know, just four that I picked off the top of my head as you asked me before we did this podcast. <laughs> Brilliant. Uh, one one other question, obviously. Ali McKinnell, Alistair McKinnell. Is there any Scottish heritage there? No, funny enough, I lived in Scotland for a couple of years up in Glasgow. But, um, uh, yeah, I think there is not not in recent right. you know, generational terms. But, there are, I mean, Alistair Hamish McKinnell, it doesn't get any more Scottish than that. So, um, yeah, but, yeah, nothing... Nothing that I know of. I, I have never looked into to the family history, but maybe I should. Yeah, it's just because I got that. But about Glasgow, I seen I seen a story where when you met Clive Davis, you just got off the the plane for Glasgow, and you yeah. were you were that drunk. You referred to him as Mike because you didn't know who he was. Yeah, I knew he was. I just couldn't get over the fact to me through whiskey goggles that he just reminded me of. Mike Reed, the comedian, and <laughs> just full of beans, just like knowing that you're kind of on display and, yeah, probably just Dutch courage and then just, yeah, just a bit of naive, you know, bit bit clumsy, really. But it, it seemed to work. He seemed to like me and he liked the band and, you know, it was another chapter then after that. Brilliant, man. Um Right, I'll let you go. Absolute pleasure having you on, though. Um, I'll post links to the socials, the Spotify, and I'll post a link for that. Brilliant. Rico and Amazon, because um, that, that's something that I'll be going and back, and look at as well. Bandcamp, we've got caught. We, 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 you know, we are advocates for that, because obviously as artists, it's the one way that we can receive any remuneration of any description. This is another field that I'm unfortunately ill-equipped to talk about, but, you know, this is another catastrophe for the creative content people that, uh-huh. you know, streaming platforms and the deals, that it's horrendous. But somewhere like Bandcamp, yeah, you, you can go and listen to the stuff if you like it, you can buy it, we get the money, and then we can keep doing what we like doing and bringing more music to people. Definitely. I've, I know a few, few artists that have been releasing stuff in Bandcamp, and it has... Definitely a way of getting a bit of cash back for yeah. what you're doing. I so I I'll post all the links for that. 
Um, but I for coming on the day, an absolute pleasure. It's been a, a real treat speaking to you. Thank you for having me, Martin. Always, always, uh, you're always welcome anytime, mate. And I'll, I'll, I'll be back again, no problem. Brilliant. Cool. Cheers. Keep in touch. Bye bye, mate. I hope you all enjoyed this episode of Time for Heroes podcast. If you would like to get in touch, the best way is on the Facebook page, Time for Heroes podcast or on Instagram at Time for Heroes Podcast, or Twitter at Time for Heroes P1, or drop me an email at Time for Heroes Pod at gmail.com. You'll find Time for Heroes on all podcast platforms, including Spotify, Apple, Google, and Amazon. Please leave a review where you can share with others and more importantly enjoy.